Good afternoon and welcome everybody. This would be the Jeff Cameron Show right here on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Great to be with you. Happy Championship Thursday. I'm Jeff. That's Director Matthew. We're online, ESPNTallahassee.com. That's where you go to listen live via the streaming free always. Don't miss anything, but if you do go back and caught up at your leisure, we'll post all three hours upon the conclusion of the show to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get podcasts. Feel free to email the program if you like, jcs at 979espnradio.com. Find me on Twitter at jcameronshow. Hello, YouTubers. All guests appear via the Phone Hero hotline. Phone Hero specializing in iPhone and iPad repair. Two locations, 2915 Cary Forest Parkway, 833 West Gain Street. Online at phonehero.tlh.com. Back-to-back Stanley Cup champions, they join in the uh, modern era, the salary cap era, if you will. Uh, Second team to win back-to-back are the Tampa Bay Lightning. In that era, they join the uh, 2016-2017 Pittsburgh Penguins. The salary cap era, for those that must know and should, uh, began in 05. So, you know, you've you've seen basically uh, it's a tough thing to do. And I am glowing. I am absolutely radiating joy today. I am so happy for the city, so happy for the franchise, happy for some friends that work for said franchise and for all those that I share a fandom with for the Bay Area, for St. Petersburg and for Tampa Bay and uh, for the teams that reside there, play there, and for many years toiled in uh, really poor, uh, substandard, achingly sorry play. That's, that's that's the way we felt growing up down there. And now there's this other feeling that takes hold, which is that uh, your expectations shift dramatically about what's possible because what's possible are championships, plural. Like the Bucks will be your favorite going into the season to win back-to-back Super Bowls. Now we both know it's really hard to do, and we'll see. And they were largely injury-free for much of last year. They're another year older. They're the hunted now. We'll see. But I didn't think I could live in a town or a time in which I talked about said town uh, as reigning champions across the board and almost everything, and expectations being that uh, this is now what we hope to reach, this, either the final round of something, the final game of something, and or you know, winning said final game of something. It's amazing. Uh, it's, a, it's a hard thing to build. Um, and they, you know, they, it, to build a championship team is, is hard to do. And the Lightning, it should be noted, um, drafted the vast majority of the uh, best players on this team. They were they were guys that were identified, guys like Steven Stamkos and Hedman and Vasilevsky and others, that they, they identified and, and drafted and developed. So, you know, at their core, their best players and the players that helped lead them to back-to-back Stanley Cup championships were guys that are in-house that were that were drafted by the organization. So that in and of itself is very difficult to do. You got to identify the guys that can go on to win the Conn Smythe, as Vasilevsky did last night. And think about it. You lose Ben Bishop, who at the time many people thought was the best goalie in hockey, and you replace him with the best goalie in hockey. That doesn't typically happen. No matter what you project somebody to be, they don't usually ascend to that level, and almost immediately he did. 
So you have that. And you think about Kucherov coming back off of injury, and it worked out well, and Tampa Bay found a loophole. Oh, by the way, back in 2015, the Bolts uh, took issue with something that the Chicago Blackhawks did along these same lines. Um, Kane got hurt, and they went out and picked somebody up, and we thought, that's not right. What do you mean? And we, we suggested to the whole league, like, wait a minute. No, no, no. Salary cap carry over into the postseason, and I'm not so sure they're doing the right thing here. Nobody else would take up the cause, so they said, no, 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 it's, it's fine. Okay. Well, if that's the way it's going to work, don't mind if we do. And everybody played by the same rules. So today, a lot of sour grapes, and I expected as much, and it's what happens, especially if you build on a championship with yet another championship. Um, but two championships inside of 10 months is really something. It's grueling is what it is, and you've got to be deep. You've got to be really, really good. And obviously, this team is not just really, really good. They're really, really deep. A lot of guys were banged up here at the end, uh, and they were able to to go on and and, and still find ways to, to get so many contributions from so many players that are considered, quote-unquote, to be glue players or role players. They're not the headmans of the world or the Stamkoses of the world, uh, but instead of Pat Maroon, uh, you know, and guys like that. So today they hoist the cup probably in strange places. Today the cup will be defiled in ways we don't want to know about. I'm sure... Hoisted, mounted, you name it, a lot of things, a lot of interesting things. The Stanley Cup is legendary, Lord Stanley's Cup. I mean, it is a – I got to see it this year at Raymond James Stadium while at the game watching the Bucs would go on to be Super Bowl champions as the players held it on high, aloft, in the box, out over the 50-yard line while my son looked up, and we've got a ton of pictures of it, and there it was, and I thought, how cool is that, that they won the Stanley Cup, and a difficult one to win at that, in the bubble. And by the way, a lot of people, because just if your team doesn't win it in the bubble, then the team that did is a farce because it was the bubble. That's how that works if your team doesn't win it. Um, what's funny is I actually think the teams that win in the bubble are winning a harder championship. It's insane what they had to go through to win that championship in the bubble. It's bizarre and crazy and extremely difficult. But it is nice to turn around and back it up with a get you some. Here's one outside of the bubble, too, bitches. Now what you got? You going to cry about the cap? That's what you're going to do, and that's what you'll see. And it's kind of what's happened. Uh, from people outside of Tampa. But no matter, no matter, they can cry as they watch another cup lifted and another banner raised. And uh, I didn't I didn't think that I'd see that, but congratulations to some of my friends. Adam Laws, you're out there, buddy. Good job for you and for everybody else that uh, has been a part of this run. You know, now moving away from the hockey, let's say, in, instead of just gloating and celebrating the championship and winning back-to-back, um, I will say that I was lucky enough, obviously, that when Tampa got the Lightning and they first played the Florida Fairgrounds, of all places, I remember they set an attendance record because it's not a traditional hockey arena, and they had, I think it was against the Flyers, and they had some crazy exhibition where they had like 50,000 fans. I mean, that's, it was a really bizarre sort of deal. But I was there when the Lightning arrived, and it was kind of a sideshow, really, admittedly. And in many ways, the rest of the country still views Hockey being played in southern states or warm weather states. I remember there was great resentment to the L.A. Kings to when, when you know, eventually they get Wayne Gretzky. And that was just people were loath to see that.
But, I mean, eventually at some point, you know, you get teams in Arizona and Atlanta and all these different – listen, it's, it's the sport grew. It happened. And in some of those places, they couldn't support hockey, and they didn't, and those franchises moved. But Tampa has had a real good run, and they've got a really good owner who invests in the community. And that's become a, a team that the community absolutely adores. And being that when I was a kid, the Bucks were run by Hugh Culverhouse, an overt racist who was a horrible human being. And upon hearing of his death, I celebrated. Um, I remember thinking we were cursed. Like, this is for the way the league was when they welcomed the Bucks into the league. They did any new team back then a, a huge disservice. They didn't give them um, an opportunity to succeed by giving them a leg up. They didn't do what they did for, say, the Carolina Panthers or even the Jacksonville Jaguars. Those teams were able to ascend to a pretty highly competitive place and make the playoffs really quickly in their young tenure because they were able to have a draft where they could just pick off good players from every team, like we're going to see what happens with Seattle. I mean, you could protect certain players, but you couldn't protect your whole roster, and thus those teams came in and went, we'll take him, we'll take him, we'll take him. So they weren't grabbing riffraff off the side of the road. The Bucks literally were taking guys that hadn't played football in three years. There was a guy that was running a, a used car store. Um, a lot that they got in to, to come play. So they, they were really, they had no chance. And so we all felt felt like, man, these teams in Tampa, just we, forever we wanted a baseball team, couldn't get one. Uh, the White Sox were going to come, and then there were some shenanigans uh, at midnight with uh, money rolls exchanging hands, and it was ugly, and that's all documented. They ended up staying, which in retrospect, I'm glad they did. The White Sox didn't need to come to Tampa. They should be in Chicago. They're almost as old as baseball. They should be in Chicago. But nonetheless, that was the team we thought we were going to get. We thought we were going to get the San Francisco Giants. They didn't end up coming to Tampa Bay, so had the wool pulled out from under them yet again. Uh, and then also the Seattle Mariners at one point were going to come to Tampa. I, I remember the shirts. Everybody, we're going to get this team we're gonna get this team i remember when they built the the damn stadium tropicana dome they, they, they built this thing and everybody said okay what's well, gonna happen and they were just always laughed at they weren't good in football and that's an understatement they were the losingest franchise in any sport across the board they were embarrassing they couldn't get the baseball team they kept thinking they were gonna get then they get this upstart hockey team and people were like whatever but the hockey team took hold and did well and eventually wins one in 2004, and they've really been um, a really sound and solid organization ever since. And now they're the best organization in, in hockey, and it's really not that close. At least it hasn't been. Um, and so, you know, that's you get a glimpse of why fans, and I, as I've gotten older, one thing I've certainly grown to accept is that Okay, the worst of, of, of a fan base do not obviously represent the average fan from those places in any way, shape, or form. And when you're really young, all you see in, in, is, is the most obnoxious of the, of the team that you're, you're facing, right? You only see the worst of those fans. It's what you're drawn towards because you're, you have such a passion, passion and such a fire for your team that you're looking for anybody that feels, um, you know, the antithesis, right? And, so, and then also it takes one guy to act at a turn, and I remember it's a message board effect. Like, so Gator players would get arrested and we would throw rocks. And then it was a matter of time, and a Florida State player would get arrested, and Florida people would see. See, they're all criminals up there. They're all criminals. I've been telling you that for years. And we've done it to the Canes forever and more. Now, they are a unique fan base, admittedly. Admittedly, this might hold true and be different for the Canes than anybody else. You folks know that I'm 
all things Philadelphia, but if you approach me, I promise you I won't hit you with a battery. <laughs> I won't punch you in the face. You don't want to hurt Santa Claus? Nope. No. And you don't cheer when people break their neck on the field. Some of your fans did. If it's Adrian Peterson, <laughs> but not but not just a random player from a rifle team. Yeah. No. So if Michael Irvin breaks his neck, you wouldn't have joined in the uh, in the celebratory moment there at the vet. Uh, all right. So here here's the thing. You know, you end up finding out that in, in truth, most people are probably pretty good. Probably pretty good, especially if you get them one on one. You can talk with any fan. You really can talk with almost any fan one on one. Um, but it is funny to watch the phenomenon. I just never thought it would apply to Tampa because the Bucks were never going to be good enough to elicit that kind of anger for a long period of time, right? And the Lightning, I didn't think, would win back-to-back Stanley Cups, but now they have. And then have it happen all at the same time leads me to understand now the crosshairs are on Tampa. And there are plenty of things wrong with Tampa, the city. And I have joked about them for years. You know how when you're from an area, you feel like you can make fun of the area. You know, if you're from Detroit, you can make fun of the things about Detroit or Philadelphia or Boston or Chicago or wherever else that are blemishes on the reputation. You're well aware of them. You've seen them firsthand. I got friends in Miami. They'll make fun of a lot of things in Miami. Now, if you're from afar, from a distance, and you thumb your nose at those cities, as if yours is lacking any of those frailties. Nay, nay. They'll come stand up for their city, and rightfully so. And so I can see it. I know what's about to happen. There are a lot of easy targets in Tampa. I point them out on the regular. There's a fair share of strip clubs everywhere you look in Tampa. It's a seedy place. I call it Shady Tampa. (laughs) I mean... I do. I know. I I know those parts of the city. I've often, as I've driven down it with my kids, said, you don't want to turn left here. This is not ideal. It wasn't when I was 16, and it won't be when you are. So if you're ever here, keep going straight and put a little giddy up on it. Let's keep it rolling here. Things aren't good there. Or over here. This little pocket of rednecks that live in this Largo area. You're going to want to steer clear from this. Gets a little shaky over here. And now everything is some suburb of Tampa. Even though it's 100 miles outside of the Tampa I grew up, this is Tampa. It's New Tampa. New, okay, New Tampa. You mean Ocala? <laughs> so that's kind of like what you end up with. Uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of great things about the Bay Area, a lot of incredible things about Tampa St. Pete, in particular St. Pete these days. Um, but that whole area has kind of come together and I just know what's in store this football season. It's just, it's, it's funny because, you know, if you're friends with somebody from Pittsburgh or from Boston, um, or from San Francisco or wherever, you know, any place that they've had a run of dominance, Dallas, where they've had a run of dominance, um, you know, at some point in their franchise's history. It doesn't, because obviously Dallas has not had a run of any kind of dominance since the early 90s. They have not been that franchise. They're still longing to be what they were in the early 90s. And certainly they were a great franchise in the 70s. The point is their reputation precedes them because of the long stretches where they did dominate. It still resonates to this day. And the hatred for them is, I mean, that is as polarizing a franchise as there is in the league. Tampa's not that yet. 
But I will say, Matthew, if the Bucks win back-to-back Super Bowls, it's going to be a no-hold-bards-on-F-Tampa Bay. I mean, they're going to be – I mean, on the heels of the Lightning winning back-to-back Stanley Cups, the Rays going to the World Series, and who knows what will happen this year. And then, of course, the – wow. I just never thought Tampa Bay would be in that conversation. Just It, it just seemed like that was reserved for other places – and, you know, I was thinking about it last night. Not much, not much, because I really don't care what somebody in St. Louis thinks about Tampa Bay. And I really don't care what somebody in, you know, Chicago thinks about Tampa Bay. Or Boston or Philadelphia or New York. I don't. I mean, it doesn't really affect me. But I just never thought that they could be this. Could be this. You, I guess you aspire to be good enough to be a target. That was always what Florida State became. Like, for me, watching that transition, watching Florida State become the preeminent college football program for the better part of a 20-year run, 15-year run, where every year you're in the conversation, eventually it went from, isn't that a cool story, Bobby Bowden's folksy ways, it's amazing, Florida State, he put them on the map, they went from this nothing school to a dominant figure in college football to everywhere we went, We, my dad and I would go to road games and man, people were like, angry when they saw the garnet and gold like i'm about tired of this that's just code for i'm about tired of taking these ass kickings that's all that is i'm about tired of taking these ass kickings is the trans translation of i hate florida state Mm -hmm. you hate getting your ass kicked by florida state that's what you should say in front of that now unfortunately we have to apply that to clemson the worst of it is when you have to apply it to Clemson, and then they have Wuhan Dabo. So he just fueled to the fire. You golly, not only do you beat our ass every year, but you're the worst. Dumb as a brick. It's the Jeff Cameron Show, 97.9 ESPN Radio. Something written in the headlights. It's something swimming in my drink. Never miss a chance to cash it in and make a little bit of money. Obviously, uh, looking to capitalize on the good fortune and great play of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Coors Light has used ice collected from the rink at Amelie Arena during the Stanley Cup final to brew Champions Ice, (laughs) a limited edition beer. It will be available on tap in Tampa area bars and in 32-ounce collectible crowlers starting the week of July the 12th, including on the day of the Lightning's Stanley Cup Parade. To get the ice for the brewing process, Coors used the shavings collected by the Lightning ice crew in Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final against the Montreal Canadiens. It put the shavings in stainless steel hydro flasks 
and ship them overnight to its brewery in Golden, Colorado, where I've been. The Lightning gave their blessing to Coors, the official beer of the team, to brew the rink ice. This isn't the first time, by the way, a team has repurposed its ice. The Pittsburgh Penguins did it, so did the Chicago Blackhawks, bottled it, sold it for charity. It was made into ice pops during the 2014 playoffs by a broadcast partner by Coors Light. But Coors Light claims this is the first beer made using actual ice from the Stanley Cup final game. Okay. Hey, you got me. I'm a sucker. I'll buy it. I'll buy the Crowler. And then I'll look at it, and it'll become one of those things you've collected and you're not sure why. I was going through stuff recently in the garage, and as you can imagine... I've got a lot of stuff. A lot of you do, too. But I've got stuff from bowl games that I've covered, and I get bags all the time. You get these cool little – they give you gear, man. They give you gear. They used to give you better gear. Here's the part where I bitch about having the best job in the world. They give you all the gear that you – I mean, hey, check it out. Here's a leather carry-on suitcase with the Sugar Bowl logo on the side and national championship written underneath. Here's a computer bag. Here's a robe. I have a robe. Rose Bowl robe. Now, that is truly a wonderful thing. The Rose Bowl robe is absurd. It's got the big rose right there. Okay. <laughs> Walk around that and my kids shake their head. It doesn't have, like, feathers on it like Ric Flair's it robe should. says it. It really should. It does not. So I wanted to clarify something because you, you may have heard about this during the course of the entire run. I think this relates to what we want out of um, – any team we root for, I think you can bring it back. It's it's really kind of centered or been at the starting point for every discussion about Florida State football lately. How are you building this team? How are you getting to the place where you can play for championships? How are you getting back on your feet? And this is applicable across the board. When you, when you root for an organization, a franchise, or a college football team, you want to know that the people being paid the most amount of money to make the most critical decisions are smart, uh, ahead of the curve, forward-thinking, aggressive, doing everything in their power, even those things that border on being illegal to get the job done. It's kind of like when you go to your tax lawyer or your accountant. Sort of a, hey, I'm not saying I don't want to break the rules. I am saying I'd like to be very aggressive. I'd like to be very aggressive in the way that we approach our taxes this year. Um, it's <laughs> yeah, fluffy Bisquick pancakes. Mm. But I bring this back because uh, there's a lot of whining about what ended up happening with the salary cap. And and I want to note that, and it's pretty funny, by the way, if you go to Cap Friendly, it's a website. So I've heard people say that the uh, Lightning were like $18 million over the salary cap after reuniting with uh, Nikita Kucherov because he came back in time for the playoffs. And, you know, the the Lightning twisted the NHL rules. which maybe they did, but they learned it from the Blackhawks in 2015. And the league could have, could have voted on it because it was brought up by the Lightning as being unfair at that time with the Blackhawks in 2015. The league was like, no, no, we're good. I mean, all the other owners were like, no, it's cool. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> now all these years later, uh, when utilized by this team, people are angry about it. But I do find this interesting um, when you talk about how difficult and suffocating the financial system is in hockey right now and how you have to use everything you possibly can in your favor. If there's a loophole, you have to find it. Um, So you go back to this. 
Rocky Wirtz of the Chicago Blackhawks, whose team previously used long-term injured reserve to go over the cap during the season and then win a Stanley Cup over the Lightning, by the way. Um, you know, nobody said anything then. Now, that was only a few million dollars over. But Kucherov heals in time after a surgery and a five-month rehab. The way that the system work, uh, worked was that he was able to, he was eligible to come back when he was, it just happened to coincide with the start of the playoffs. Now, again, he did have the surgery. That is documented. They can't fake that. That did happen. He did have to rehab that, and that is when he could come back. Now, that is most fortuitous. There's no doubt. The NHL investigated it, signed off on it. The league said nothing inappropriate was done. The facts seem to align with the situation regarding Kucherov's injury, surgery, and timeline in which he could come back. That system has been in place since 2005. And I love this quote from the Lightning's GM. Those were the cards that we were dealt. That's how we handled it. We had a player who was injured and he needed surgery with about a five-month expected rehabilitation. It just so happened that this season, because of the extraordinary circumstances, it only lasted four months. So he was able to have surgery, missed the entire season, We got cap relief because he missed the season. He's able to come back a little sooner than expected. It coincided with game one of the playoffs. Lucky us. (laughs) It's awesome. There's a little bit of prodding and needling there, but it does coincide. It did. You got to be a little bit lucky. Sometimes, quote, the stars align for you. Yeah, and sometimes you hire Steve Eiserman as your GM now with the Red Wings, and at some point that will hurt the Lightning and help the Red Wings because he's brilliant. And he found stars uh, that other teams didn't want. Dating back to Alex Kalorn in 2007, 77th overall pick, they brought in Ross Colton in 2016, 118th overall pick. Some of them were no-brainers. They, they wanted Steven Stamkos. They knew it. He was first overall in 08. They followed that up with Victor Hedman as the second overall pick in 09. So they weren't real good. They drafted early, and they got it right. We always want our baseball teams to do this and our NFL teams to do this. Like, if you suck and you have the first one of the first two picks, get it right. The Lightning picked Stamkos and Hedman back-to-back years. Those two guys are Hall of Famers. The 76ers picked Markel Falls and Ben Simmons. <laughs> If we could take it back to my therapy session. <laughs> you would rather pick a guy that could shoot? You'd like to take a basketball player that could shoot a basketball? That's a toughie. So you get foundational players in that moment, and then they selected Andre Vasilevsky at number 19 in 2012. He was kind of considered a bit of a risk. But it turned out that, uh, yeah, man, Every bit worth the risk. The fear was at that time, he's a goaltender, goaltender taken in the first round and a Russian taken in the first round. A lot of people around the league think you'll never get that. Eisman laughed that off and said, I played with some pretty darn good Russian players and Russian people. The ex-Red Wing telling Sportsnet in 2015, just to cross those guys off the list would be a huge mistake. It's hard enough to find good players, let alone pick and choose what country they're from. So, you know, they didn't flinch when they drafted Nikita Kucherov in 2011. You're noticing uh, a trend here as I go down this list. 
So I've just named Kucherov. I just named Hedman. I just named Vasilevsky. I just named Stamkos. Kowarn. Colton. Go on. I mean, all these guys whose names are kind of, if you're watching hockey, household names. They drafted Braden Point. Others that we continue to talk about on the regular as being postseason superstars and regular season MVP caliber players at various points. Well, you know, those that's a team identifying players and drafting them. That's not that's not the stuff that we resent typically. The stuff we resent is when all those years that the Yankees, who also did a good job at one point in this stretch of dominance for them of 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 having homegrown players, but they've also done something else over the years, especially, and this gets very frustrating for some of those Steinbrenner years, where they they had the luxury, the great luxury of swinging and missing. You know, when when they went out and got the quote unquote fat pussy toad, they that's hey, I'm going to spend this much money on Hideki Arabu, who flames out and can't handle the pressure of New York City. But we paid a gazillion dollars for him because he was said to be the next great thing. And then it didn't work out. Well, that sets most teams back years. They're screwed. Not the Yankees. They just go spend more money on the next guy who who is kicking ass. And he's doing it for this other team who can't afford him. And they would just go boom, 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 and get, get, get. We resent that typically. And that's why there are people who kind of resent a little bit of what Tampa Bay did, meaning the Bucs, with Brady. But the weird part about that is the rest of that team was drafted and put in place, and they thought they were a quarterback away. In fact, that was the great debate in Tampa was, can Jameis get this lineup, which is a great lineup, can can he get this roster to the Super Bowl? And there's, you know, there was a lot of debate about that, obviously. There's some good and some bad, and what do we do? Well, we got this shot at Brady. Well, so did the rest of the league. Why didn't the Bears go pick up Tom Brady? They could have. They took the Red Rocket. You know, or, you know, not the Red Rocket. Who did they bring in? They brought in uh, Nick Foles. Okay, well, you know, that's a mistake. <laughs> Probably should have brought in Tom Brady. I mean, that's all I'm saying. Look around the league. Nick Foles is a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Jeff. And one hell of a run. One hell of a run. Indeed. Jeff Cameron Show 97.9 ESPN Radio. Basketball. I know that sounds strange, but here you go. The deadline for college players with remaining eligibility to withdraw from the upcoming NBA draft, which is on July 29th, I might add, was yesterday at, uh, at midnight. And none of the FSU players who declared for the draft decided to return to Tallahassee. Scotty Barnes, obviously... Kind of an inconsistent season this past year, but you saw all the upside. He's considered to be a lock as a top six or seven pick. Most mock drafts have him going to either Orlando at number five or OKC at number six. 
So you'll recall the conversations we had centered around Scotty Barnes. People have a hard time when they think of one-and-done players. Uh, they have a hard time reconciling that if the player isn't completely dominant every night they take the floor and look to be worlds ahead of everybody else on it athletically. So if you see somebody who you think, oh, well, you know, he for a freshman, he certainly looks like a player that has potential to be great, they view it as, yeah, here, by the time he's a junior, as he continues to work on his game because he can't shoot, he's an inconsistent ball handler, you know, he's got the body type to grow into something special. He's great around the rim. He's an incredible defender. And the thing about Scotty Barnes is he can defend all five positions. Very few people can do that, especially at his age. Most people don't have the length or the body type or the strength or the athleticism to do so. And he does, at 18, 19 years old, have that ability to guard all five positions. But when you tell them, after a game in which he scores four points and has two assists and bricks a bunch of free throws, that he is a consensus top 10 pick, they go, what? What are you talking about? And I'm always quick to remind, and not chastise, not talk down to, but, you know, you're looking at it in terms of how did he help us this year. He's a supposed one and done set to make millions of dollars. Did he dominate for us on the floor night in and night out? And if the answer to that question is a resounding no, he did not, people dismiss the idea of him being a consensus top 10 pick. They don't understand it. But, of course, the team that takes him, whether that's OKC or Orlando, cares very little about the season he just had and more about the one he's going to have five years from now. They're looking at a guy that has tremendous physical gifts. They're looking at a guy that, at his size, at times, was an adequate guard, but also could play in the post, could play forward, and they're looking at the mechanics, they're looking at the footwork, they're looking at the athleticism, and moreover, in his case, they're looking at the body type. And they're saying, okay, can defend all five positions, is only going to get bigger and stronger, when he's free to solely dedicate himself to his craft and does not have to worry about, I don't know, going to class. And as a freshman, by the way, usually, especially when you're here, you kind of have to fit in and defer. So when he can be a guy that we hyper-focus on in the areas of his weakness and we project four and five years from now with that length and body type, we think he's a, he's a starter. And at the end of the day, when you're drafting a player in the first round, yes, you'd like every one of these guys to be can't-miss, no-brainer, all-stars. But in truth, I think as a GM, what you really hope to get is at the very least a adequate starter, somebody in your starting five, somebody that if you draft is going to contribute in a meaningful way for you night in, night out for the next however many years. Now, if they happen to go on to be Kawhi Leonard, well, then that's a – a hell of an upside and a kind of a lucky turn of events because that's really hard to predict. In fact, the people who took Kawhi Leonard didn't think Kawhi Leonard would become Kawhi Leonard. Just have to have what? That's right. The potential to become that, and thus they get drafted very highly based on a lot of the numbers, a lot of the potential, the length, the size, all of those things. Raekwon Gray, redshirt junior, two-year starter, had another year of remaining eligibility, but he completed his degree. And he could be selected in the second round of the NBA draft at this point. Balsa had a very good sophomore season, chose to go pro, likely in Europe, rather than return and expand his skill set. He, at times, could have been 
somebody that you thought might be an NBA guy, may still be at some point because of those flashes of brilliance where he played great on the perimeter last year, but not enough consistency there. MJ Walker could have returned because of the NCAA's COVID-19 waiver for 2020-2021 seniors, but he's already played four seasons, has his degree, and has chosen to move on. As for the other two seniors from last season, Raquan Evans has decided to use the COVID-19 waiver and return for the 2021-2022 season. Nathaniel Jack also used the waiver, but he decided to enter the transfer portal in April, ended up at Cleveland State to play for former Hamilton assistant Dennis Gates. You guys know that. Backup shooting guard Sonar Calhoun, curiously transferred out, opting for Texas Tech to play for their uh, new coach, uh, Mark Adams, who was the former uh, – by the way, their former coach, Chris Beard, left for his alma mater, University of Texas. FSU will enter the upcoming season – with only four returning scholarship players in seniors, Anthony Polite, who we expect big things out of, Malik Osborne, who I expect big things out of and really like, Raquan Evans, who I hope takes a huge step forward, White Wilkes, and they add, obviously, Caleb Mills, the transfer, uh, the point guard from Houston, who uh, was an elite freshman player. Cameron Fletcher, the Kentucky swingman, they got a 7-3 J.C. center, and uh, Nahima Cloud, freshman Matthew Cleveland, who... Really, to hear people talk about, you should be very excited to see. 6'6 six, six swingman. Also, they got a 6'4 guard in Jaron Worley and John Butler, the 7'1 center. That's 10 scholarship players on the current roster. They're going to add, potentially add, more players from the transfer portal this summer. We're in the summer. Keep your eyes peeled. This is what looks likely for all of us now. Give you a little quick, you know, catch up, refresher course, Florida State basketball, any more. All you're doing is watching that transfer portal very, very closely because that Baylor team that just won it all was made up of nothing but transfers. And it's a it's a weird landscape in the world of college basketball now where you've got to be a destination that people want to go to. What's cool is just from the visits that Florida State's already received, it is now abundantly clear that this is a place people have on the map as a viable championship contender, as, as a place you can go and not just play in the ACC, but win the ACC, make a run at winning the ACC, be in the upper echelon of the ACC, and make runs to, at this point anyhow, the Elite Eight. The idea being that you're really close to being a team that has that run and kicks down the door and gets to the Final Four and is a place that folks want to come to. Now, that is another reminder of how far Florida State has come. Now, it's interesting because Florida State finds themselves, and I'll move on from basketball here in a second, but it is very interesting that Florida State now finds themselves in a position, at least in the, in, in the view of the fan base, of needing to do a little more, which is a great indicator of consistency, growth, and the way that the program is perceived both by blue-chip players and fans alike. It's not enough anymore to be kind of just a top-four, top-five team in the ACC. That's a given. Now we just assume that's going to happen. It's not enough anymore to punch your ticket and go back to the NCAA tournament in consecutive years and back-to-back-to-back-to-back years or anything like that. No, that's a given. We're going to go to the tournament. We're not even questioning about whether or not we're going to be a team of significance. We're going to the tournament. Nope, got to make a run. Sweet 16, bare minimum. Even then, a little grumbling if you stumble along the way. And... If you think about that and put it in perspective, you realize that where we were just five, six years ago to where we are now is a, a world apart. It's, um, it's a cool place to be. But I don't 
think that you fall victim to the weight of expectations and you're not a victim of your own expectations or your own successes. This is where you expect it to be and where you strove to be and now reside. So, you know, it's a it's a brave new world for Florida State basketball and for the way that we look at it. Now, it's always a good idea to try to find balance in the way that you analyze where the program's at, but it is strange that the basketball program resides there and as we sit here now just as couple of weeks out of the ACC meetings for football and the practice of beginning, as I've talked about all week long, the expectations for football are exceptionally low compared to that of basketball. And that I never thought I'd say, but is a reality. And it's all at once something that makes you smile and makes you want to throw something. Weird, isn't it? It's kind of the theme of the day as the lightning help continue to stamp Tampa as a place of champions compared to where I grew up, where at the thought of, could you just go over 500? Could you just go over 500, guys? A little 500 for that ass? Just a little something-something? One of my favorite memories is seeing the Bucks beat the Eagles on like a block punt. I'd have to go back and look at the date of this game. I remember it was really hot at the old, um, the old stadium, uh, the Big Sombrero. And it was an ugly game, and I think we beat you guys like 14 to 9 or 16 to 14 or some something. And the Eagles weren't good that year, and the Bucs were never good. And I think that was like the Bucs' second or third win of the season. We ran out of that place as if we'd won the Super Bowl. That's how that's how disparate and desperate we were. Like the losses, the wins were that far apart, and the <laughs> the amount of joy one could gather from a regular season win, fluke at that. Windy day. Running out, woo! Beat the Eagles, and you guys were like sub five hundred. We're like, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's Jeff Cameron Show, ninety seven ninety ESPN Radio. To be my friend, you'll see me once I'm home.